We are not an affinity group. Are you kidding? Like, this is your country. So our kind of motto is GSD, get stuff done. Welcome to the first edition of The Debrief, where we dive deeper into U.S. Air Force priorities, programs, and emerging technologies with the airmen and Air Force civilians executing those missions. In February of 2021, the Air Force instituted the first hair policy change for women in 70 years. You may have heard that AFI 36-2903 includes updates to women's braids, ponytails, and the length of bangs for females. But what many people don't know is how and why these changes came about. We sat down with Major Aliyah Nadim and Master Sergeant Jonathan Lind, two airmen who proved to be essential in the effort to accommodate female airmen and accelerate change from within the Air Force. I'm Staff Sergeant Sarah Boyd. And I'm Staff Sergeant Janiqua Robinson. And this is your debrief. I was told that I needed somebody to put a ruler up into my head. New instruction now allows female airmen to wear their hair in a single ponytail or two braids. We have women who have hair loss, traction alopecia, there's tension headaches. There's all kinds of health-related things that we have noticed over time have just gone unaddressed. So to kick everything off, we kind of just want like a genesis, like an origin story. How did WIT get started? Well, in 2008, Congress actually sort of mandated under the Equal Opportunity Office that the Department of Defense, they needed to look at barriers within the services. And so specifically within policy. And one of the ways the Air Force actually approached this was through different teams. So part one of those teams is the Women's Initiative Team. And this is one way, you know, of addressing the barriers through policy. So in 2008 is actually when formally we were started. And like, why is it just now that we're hearing about this? I think a couple things. One is just, you know, hair policy, right? It, this was this was like the best thing since sliced bread for women, you know, in the Air Force, right? So just just that, I think, was kind of the timing of it. But I also think, you know, the services, we've always had sort of diversity and inclusion and barriers sort of in the background, but it was never at the forefront. So I think, you know, last year, uh, you know, the stuff that happened with George Floyd, that kicked off a whole bunch of things for our country, for the Department of Defense, for the Air Force. And so really at the forefront kind of came these teams who we've been looking at this all along since 2008, barriers for minorities, for women. And so we just kind of came to the front and said, hey, we have, we've been lo- like, you guys are all late to the game. That's kind of, we were like, we know, <laughs> you know, we know there's been these problems. And so we actually had solutions, you know, ready to go. So with you guys, like having that jump start in all those years to prepare some of this information, uh, what are some common misconceptions talking about how you guys came about and what um, the things you guys are doing is in response to? You know, I appreciate that question. Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is people just think we came on the scene for hair policy, but we've worked... We have worked so many things. So we worked lactation room policy. We worked height requirements. So, for example, some of our aviators, if you were below 64 inches, you either A, had to get a waiver um, or B, like you weren't accepted into certain airframes. Well, we said just the fact that you have to get a waiver is a barrier. And we, and we were able to show, like, if women saw that they weren't 100% qualified for the position, they wouldn't put in for it. But for some reason, men do. It's not a bad thing. It's just that's psychological makeup. And so we've actually been doing things for, for quite some time. And not just for military women, but for, for civilian women, too. We were starting to see civilian women. Once they got to, like, a 13, they would leave. And part of it is because we were just hiring retired officers at the 14 and 15 level. So we, we, we've been doing this for a while. But also my biggest sort of fear of, of a misconception is that we're this infinity group. We're, we're a bunch of women who are angry at the world and we're just here to like 
you know, complain. That is not what we are at all. Like we are action oriented. And I'll be the first one to tell you, if you're going to complain, this is not the group for you. So our kind of motto is GSD, get stuff done. Awesome. Thank you so much for that answer. That is exactly what we're looking for is talking about how this this didn't just come about because Chief Bass is in now. I think that was something that uh, was commonly misconstrued amongst a lot of people was, oh, we have female leadership. Now we're just focusing on females now. Like that's what we're trying to <laughs> disperse, like disperse that narrative because you guys have been in the game for a while, like you said, and it's been much, 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 much more work in the background and in the making. Really, this whole thing's been on the back of JB. That's the perfect segue to introduce you and what you bring to the team. <laughs> For me, this did this started at Beale Air Force Base in the Tower, 2016. I was having a conversation with one of my airmen, and she's you know talking about hair loss and like all these other issues she was having. And I just I found it odd that a regulation that we have on the books is causing these kind of problems. And it was just one airman at the time, so I decided to talk to my wife about it. She told me the same thing. She's like, yeah, I'm actually considering getting out. And she's on a deployment. You know, she gets one day off per month. She's she's in a lot of pain. So we decided, hey, let's go ahead and see what we can do. Maybe the Air Force will make a change. Uh, we just need to let them have something to go off of. And so we started the Warrior Braids Project. And we dedicated ourselves to, you know, our free time to researching and developing a solution to what we were seeing. That became basically what you see today. But we ended up filing uh, an 847 in January of 2017, along with awesome document that my wife, Jocelyn, uh, put together. She put all of the things that we were seeing, she compiled it, we put it into a, a packet, sent it into the, the Airman Powered by Innovation for uniform change requests, and, and let it do its thing. Uh, turns out, though, that, that never got approved at the, at the, the uniform board. But So it doesn't get approved at the uniform board. Where did you go from there? Like, so you submitted, so it sounds like you submitted it to this board, to this entity that's supposed to serve for making these changes happen. And was it factual that it got denied actually at that time? So like, it wasn't actually denied. They just said they put it aside for further research and then it disappeared. And we sent several emails to the, to the people that run the program to try to find it, see what the status was. And uh, I also asked, you know, my chain of command a couple of times, like, Hey, can you help us find out where it was? But, but yeah, changes like this come with a, General Holmes said it recently in a, in a, like a telecon he did with the women's initiative team, but there's some personal risk to making changes. And for me, it was specifically, we're looking at standards, heritage and uniform changes. It can be controversial in, in many ways. So with that, you're going to, you're going to bump up against challenges. And I'd like to tell you about one of them. And when I was at Beale, I went through the, uh, my chain of command uh, twice while I was there. And the first time I, my squadron commander, man, they're great. The squadrons have always loved it and always been very supportive. Um, but I got to the group and the group chief said, hey, the med group, they don't have data on what you're saying. They don't have data on the headaches portion. And so we're not going to support it further. And I was like, okay, cool. I knew that chief was leaving. And so I waited for him to leave and a new chief came in. And I, the previous chief had briefed him on it. You know, hey, there's Sergeant Lynn's work in this project. And so I set up a meeting with him and I go in to have the discussion with him. And he said, hey, we're not going to pursue this past the group. And I can't stop you from using the API program. So just go that route. But we're not going to support it any further from here. And he also said, you need to have these women that are telling you this, go to the med group and let them know they have headaches from this. And that's something I wasn't going to do. Most of the women I was talking to, they're, they're on flying status. So to go say, hey, you're, you have migraines. And headaches for something that you don't have when you leave work and put your hair down, 
you know what the problem is and I'm not going to put them in that position. And so I said, okay, fine. I left his office and I went to the squadron commander within a couple of days. I told him what happened and the squadron commander, he's a, he's a bold leader. And he, he looked at me and said, what do you want? And I said, I'd like to get the meeting with the wing and see what they say. They might have some really good ideas. They might provide some feedback, a way forward with it, something more than what I have. You know, it's been around for a while. They, they may have something. He said, okay, great. Let's, let's do that. He walks me out to his secretary. She puts my name in the hair rig change on the calendar for the wing. And I was like, yes, this is happening. I finally, we're going somewhere with this. Well, within the next couple of days, I won't get into the details of it, but I never got that meeting. And that was a really tough time for me. Um, basically, I had been made to feel like I had jumped the chain and I had disobeyed the, the group. And so for me, that was heartbreaking. I was scared to death, uh, sitting in bed at night, just like, I just, I think I just ended my career. I, I, at a minimum, I think I'm going to lose a strike. So I'm going to be a staff sergeant again. And I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't. I just couldn't fathom it. And so I went through the stages of grief, if you will. So I was kind of like depressed and then like, you know, sad. And then I, then I got angry. I was like, nobody deserves. I felt like I was bullied. Nobody deserves to be bullied. You know, nobody. If you have an idea and you feel like it should go further, you shouldn't be held back from that. You know, there's certain there's certain things that, hey, you know, maybe we should talk about this. You should get the support. I don't feel like I got the support at that time. But, you know, just as a lesson, if anyone's out there listening in, in if we have, we, there's a lot of ideas out there and there's going to be some personal risk and you've got to know what you believe in. You have to have that conviction for what you're working on. Anytime you're trying to make change, that's very controversial. There's always sort of a sacrificial lamb, right? Like, you know, the first time that we said women could serve in the military, it was like, what? The, like, no way. Right. So, um, and then the first time we said minorities can serve, it's like, no, that's impossible. Right. So, Anytime you're the first person to like say those things, it's really hard. You carry a huge burden on your back. Now, we happen to be on the right side of history now, right? Like we got it, but we could have been not the, you know, not the good story. This could have easily flipped, you know, the other way. So I, I just want to say those who are thinking about making changes, it is really hard. You are going to get bruised. You're going to like, you're going to have to slay some people. You are going to have to fight your way through this. Um, but the important thing is, is you're on the right side of history. And if that conviction carries you forward, then you know what? I took that as, you know what? Okay, this is where I'm at. This is what's going to happen to me. I never lost a stripe. Everything ended up being okay. The squadron superintendent sat me down and said, hey, you've got you to gotta calm down. We, we see your passion. We see it with this, but just don't go back to the group. Leave, leave them alone, you know? So I went through the chain of command twice there. I also went through the chain of command at Aldafra, and uh, we never got past the group chiefs there either. And then we went to Kunsan and did the same thing, but I actually got some help from the chief there. It just, we still didn't make it. Came to Seymour Johnson, used the chain again. Definitely the group chief at Seymour Johnson, Chief Cooper, man, what an amazing guy. He, he, he liked the idea and he set me up for a meeting with the wing. While this was happening, ACC Sword Athena was happening. This is the time when I had met Lieutenant Montana Pellegrini and Captain Sarah Bearheide with the wit. And that was like this amazing feeling of like, if you're straight, imagine being stranded and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of here. And then L team captain show up like, Hey, let's do this. You know, it's like this. Yes. Cool. And I finally got a ride forward. It was just this amazing um, feeling, you know? So I guess um, some people would be a little bit confused um, as to why you felt so convicted 
Like, why did you feel so strongly that you would put your stripe, your career, um, and yourself on the line for an issue that doesn't affect you, right? When you, so I interviewed 238, well, 239 women. When you hear some of these stories, it just, it, it puts it into perspective for you. Some of these women, they're talking about, they're telling me like, I don't feel like I belong in the Air Force. Are you kidding? Like, you, this is your country. You should be able to serve your country, especially if you're doing a great job. Some of these women are fan, they're just fantastic human beings. And we don't want them in the Air Force because they don't feel like they deserve that. No, 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 no. They deserve to be here. And so because of that, at that point, I had already gotten, you know, I'd gotten into that point where I'm already, okay, I'm invested now. Like, I mean, but the skeptics, they would still look at you and say, okay, they felt like they didn't belong because of hair. You know, like what were some of the things that you were seeing that made you realize like this is an actual health issue? This is a quality of life issue um, and that we have to do something about this. For me, it became culture. I didn't realize how much pain these women were in and that if they cut their hair, what their family thought about them, you know, and the struggles that they would have, their self-confidence. We can go down the rabbit hole with psychological safety, another thing that we're working on. But it, it developed into these things like there's a lot of them. And when we crunch the numbers, about 140,000 women, seven out of 10 are telling you that, that there's a problem. And we're looking at maybe nine out of 10 that have one of the many, many, many issues. It's more waivers for women who account for 20% of the force than there are shaving waivers for men in the entire 80% of the force. That's a lot of people. That, and that's why. So we kept pushing because this is a big problem with culture. There was operational. There was medical. There was a lot of different avenues that we approached this problem. Thank you so much for answering that. And I personally want to applaud your courage <laughs> a majority of people feel that exact same way so thank you for doing that circling a little bit back to major Nadine, ma'am can you give me like a timeline of the changes that have been made through both the collaborative efforts of you and jb and then also from the women's initiative team in general other than just hair regs you, you touched on it briefly before about like there were height requirements that were changed there were other advancements that came into play some of the chronological things that we've done is, so to touch into the equipment, military equipment. Um, so when female service members, when they separate um, or retire, uh, the number one issue they have when they go to the VA is musculoskeletal issues. And you're thinking, okay, well, who, you know, who cares? Well, men, they have musculoskeletal issues, but it's like at number eight. Well, it's because we've had crappy equipment. <laughs> we have not had equipment that feet that feet like has our body composition and so all that wear and tear on you over the years so that's one of the reasons like the number one issue is when you're a veteran is musculoskeletal for women so that was very identifying so we started to look at what happens when you get out and so we started to look and say how can we fix this issue well one of the first things is you have to find you know like we are part of the force or would you just tell like for example men you know, they don't have to go in and say, hey, I'd like a female size medium, right? But like women were like, oh, we need a, you know, a small, right? So those things kind of added up. And we've seen what's happened over essentially almost 70 years of not having proper, properly fitting equipment. So one of the first things that I did when I first joined the WIT um, was I created, you probably have all heard of the uh, transitions assistance program when you kind of transition out. It's pretty straightforward, right? Like it's going to talk about what your benefits are. Well, we were never talking about uh, female health, but yet females, when they were separating um, and retiring out of service, they have three times the rate of suicide compared to their civilian partners. They had higher rates of homelessness. Um, they had higher rates of not being unemployed in the first six months. 
And so we were looking at all this data and saying, what is happening, right? And so we actually worked, the WIT worked to create a women's health TAP, Transition Assistance Program. So, and the reason why is because, okay, there's all these statistics of these things happening, but nobody was actually doing anything about it. So most female veterans didn't know that they could actually go to the VA and use their health care for free if they separated or retired. And if you retire, you can actually use TRICARE and the VA. You can choose what's best for you. Um, and this was also sometimes the first time women were, were really dealing with military sexual assault. So we saw an increase. Basically, as soon as veterans got out, that's the first thing they would go to the VA for, MST. Um, so anyways, we created a program now. So before you transition as a female, it's a one-day course. It goes over all of the all of the services that are available to you at the VA. There's even maternity care. Um, and so most women didn't even know these services existed for them. They had, they had no idea. And so we're trying to curb the suicide rate, homelessness rate, and getting them the mental health services. So that's one of the programs that, that we created. And so that I wanted to tie that into the body armor because that's you got to start from the beginning to figure out why you know why we need this body armor because it's going to affect you uh, when you're a veteran. One of the other things that I'm extremely proud of is um, Lieutenant Colonel Jessica Ruttenberg. She, you want to talk about a fighter. Uh, so she uh, wanted to be a pilot, but was told she's too short uh, because she had to be 64 inches. So she's she's tiny. And she, she fell below that. She uncovered this this amazing this barrier that we had so deep in the Air Force. So in the 1950s and 60s, aircraft were designed around a white male, right? So they took the measurements of the seat for a, a male. No one ever thought a woman would fly in combat. Number one, nobody thought minorities would fly. So why even design an aircraft for you know, for example, Asian stature? women. It was just like, there's no way that's ever going to happen. So we have designed aircraft that don't accommodate almost 50% of the U.S. population. So women make up about 51% of the population. What do, you, what do you think the average height of a female is in the U.S.? 63 inches. But we made the standard 64. <laughs> so, you know, if you wanted to be a fighter pilot, if you were female, you better be tall. You know, you, you had to do that. And so so then we look at, OK, who are our Air Force leaders? Right. They're typically pilots. Right. There's a pedigree. And you can recruit all the women you want into the Air Force, but they're not going to be able to fly that plane. You know, that that pedigree to become a senior leader because they're not tall enough. So what if you have a woman who is like five one, but she's the best fighter pilot out there? We'll never know. Because she cannot fit, we did not engineer the seat. So uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ruttenberg figured this out. And she, for almost two years, did the research, dug it out. And uh, at the time, before Dr. Roper left, he was head of acquisitions for the Air Force. She actually went to him and presented this. And he literally a week later put out uh, uh, guidance that when anytime the Air Force designs a new weapon system, aka aircraft, they have to include the anthropometrics of women, specifically the population that we recruit from. So if we ever want the minority to become the majority, we have to really look at our policies. Um, and so that uh, that is a policy that we worked on as well. I briefly had touched on uh, the waiver process. So um, any airman, when you hear waiver, you know, I think it's automatically, 
oh man, I got to do a waiver. Like it's that in itself is a barrier, right? And so we said for height requirements, for air crew, for, for female air crew, why do you, why do you have this waiver? Why don't you just say, we're going to assess you for the correct airplane, which is true because you may be able to fly in a KC-135 as air crew or a pilot, but probably not in a fighter because you don't meet that 64 inches, right? That's kind of a hard line because you literally can't reach certain aspects of the plane. So we said, just take out the waiver. Just say we're going to do a medical assessment, which is all that that's all they're really doing. But that language, right? Words we use matter. And so we took out that that language of a barrier. And all it says now in the medical directory is needs further assessment. So that that if I was, you know, a cadet on the street or an airman, I would say, oh, OK, I just I have to get assessed. And they're going to tell me that, hey, I don't qualify for this aircraft because I'm not tall. Enough. Hopefully in the future, we never have to have um, that conversation. And then the last thing I'll touch on is um, lactation rooms. So once again, it's been 70 years. And up until 2018, uh, we did not have a lactation policy. So women were essentially pumping uh, and expressing milk in bathrooms. And um, I am not a mother, right? And I haven't had children. So um, when I said, okay, what, you know, and I was ignorant. I said, what's the problem with that? They said, would you prepare your food in the bathroom? And I was like, no, I would not. No, 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 you're right. And um, so we, you know, we fought pretty hard to, to get a lactation policy. So now commanders have to provide a secure, clean, lockable space. I've heard from so many women, they had, you know, a room and they even had the sign like, you know, pumping and someone would accidentally walk in. And I'm sure that's mortifying for anybody. Um, and, and why this is important is because it all goes back to readiness, right? Because if you're thinking about home so much that you can't focus on there, you're, you're not really in the fight. And if we want to retain women, you know, cause we lose women at higher rates than we lose men in the air force. So if we want to like keep women in, you know, women do have physiological different needs. Like we happen to bear children. There's things that come with that. Um, and so we have to be accommodating to those things to get women back in the fight just as quickly. So I'll stop talking because I could talk about all all the different things that we've done. But but those are kind of like the highlights. And you guys already know hair policy, so I don't need to say anything else. Thank you. Seriously. No, that was a really good recap of a lot of things that you guys have worked towards. And a theme that I noticed while um, you and JB were talking was there's kind of this uh, narrative going on that I love that you don't have to be directly related to the problem to want to fix it. Um, you not being a mother and still recognizing that lactation rooms is something that needs to be had, you not being a woman and recognizing that that's a problem that needs to be fixed is something that will always enhance the force as a whole. Yeah, I would just say like with with all the things that, you know, you guys have already been able to accomplish, what is ahead? You know, what are people would say, you know, you got the lactation room, you got the hair stuff. What more could you want? What more could you need? Right. So the, well, there's a lot. <laughs> um, one of the things we're working on right now. Uh, so this is um, and, and I know a lot of this folks fo focuses on uh, mothers, but the reason why is because they're they're the most vocal. So the wits and all volunteer group. Right. So I, I lead a volunteer group. Uh, it's it's people who come together who have an issue. So people say it's always why is it always about like mothers? I'm like they're they're the ones who are most passionate. Um, who, who want to fix this stuff. So one of them is um, breast milk shipping. And so this was explained to me, um, uh, Master, or I'm sorry, uh, Major Samantha Sliney. She uh, is a JAG and she goes TDY a lot and she has two little ones. 
And part of the reason she was struggling going TDY is because she had to pump um, and then ship her breast milk back home for her babies. Because if you don't pump, it, it dries up. And so it was costing her an arm and a leg to ship the breast milk back home, or she could take it on the transport, but she had to keep it cold because there wasn't always a freezer where she was at. And so it's either costing women more or they have to pump and dump, which people say is like, you know, it's like liquid gold going down the drain. And so um, a lot of women who have to go to training, you know, they're putting up an additional expense. So you you might've heard this, there's like a pink tax that there's other, like women have to pay for, for other things. Well, this was one of them. So what we're trying to do is make it part of the JTR joint travel regulation. So let's say you go TDY, it's like a rental car. You're like, Hey, I'm going to have to ship breast milk, you know, back home. Um, this is, it's a, it's a reimbursable expense and the state department does it. Um, the, the whole, like the entire government, there is a clause in there. So we just need the DOD to kind of accept this clause. So we're, we're working towards that. And it really just is to be, to give parity because, you know, if, if you're, if you're pumping and, and you can't do that, it's really hard. Again, it's hard to do your job. So that's one of the things we're working. One of the other things that, uh, JB and, uh, Lieutenant Pellegrini are working, they're actually helping, uh, the folks trying to get beards. And so why this is not necessarily a wit initiative, I want to say that, uh, but we are very supportive uh, of our brothers doing that. Now, I will say one issue that I have as a challenge is a lot of a lot of folks say, hey, women got ponytails and braids. I want beards. No, women got parity. You know, we did not get something. We were in pain. We didn't need that. So I want to clear that up. Um, when the first thing somebody says is, you know, they don't say congratulations. They say, what about my beard? I'm like, yeah, maybe you should do some self-reflection. But I do understand there are barriers specifically for those uh, African American, the African American community, Hispanic. There are legitimate issues here, and I'm also seeing sort of, and and women experiences too is like when people get shaving waivers, they're still being sort of discriminated against in the sense, well, you can't apply for certain positions because you have a shaving waiver, and it's like, well, well, didn't I mean, isn't that what the waiver's for? So we have advisors that are helping them to put their proposal together. Um, so that's, that's not necessarily a way to issue, but it's something that we're kind of looking at helping uh, our uh, our brothers with. I'm sure they will be very happy to hear that. <laughs> well, I have to say, Lieutenant Pellegrini is is doing the work. She is, she's fantastic. And she's, she's doing the search. She's crunching the numbers and they couldn't have, they couldn't have found a better advisor or mentor uh, in Lieutenant Pellegrini. That's awesome. And uh, this reminds me, actually, of something General Holmes said that good ideas have a gestation period. So this may, this isn't going to be an overnight thing for for us to get beards, but I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think because because you got to stay positive with the red. I'm looking forward to it as a, as a potential solution. I think with the right people running that and, and addressing it properly, I think they're going to have a good shot. I actually have one question for you, JB. Um, I was thinking about this while we were kind of on the topic of good leadership and how good ideas are able to come into fruition. What do you think would be a good solution so that somebody else does not have to go through what you went through? So I was thinking about that and I was like, I'm so glad the outcome was what it was and that these changes have been made and policy was changed because of your actions. At the same token, I don't want to have another person like you have to fear for their career to make those changes. So what, what do you think would help that? So what I think the Air Force could do is is add something to their program for, you know, superintendents, commanders, uh, especially, you know, if you're going to be a group chief or a command chief, like maybe something that that's 
that's like a, a training piece or some type of policy. Like if somebody comes to you with something, don't just shut it down. It's like on, on the one hand, right, you're convicted by what you believe in. You want to make a change. You want to do something um, bold and innovative. On the other hand, you got like the chief uh, staff of the Air Force, you know, pushing you in that direction saying, you know, accelerate, change or lose. I believe very much that these are initiatives that are going to help do that because quality of life is a huge impact on the mission because it's a huge impact on the airmen. Um, but unfortunately, right, there are a lot of commands that were like that command that you were in where good ideas get pushed to the bottom or innovative or disruptive ideas get pushed to the bottom. Um, and those airmen might not have people to reach out to in their immediate surroundings, right? But they want to make change the same way you guys did. Would you encourage them to reach out to the WIT team or to reach out to you guys for guidance or anything like that to try and get those ideas off the ground? 100%. If the WIT, if I knew about the WIT in 2016, I, that wouldn't have happened. Like, just without a doubt, that wouldn't have happened. So the WIT has some serious connections. You know, the group itself is, is, is chartered. So, like, it's, it's an actual Air Force organization. So they have connections and way forward and – and I'm going to talk a little bit about Major Nadim. I know you're here. I'm sorry, but Don't make but me you cry. Have... <laughs> make I'll try. Cry. I'll try not to. <laughs> making you cry a lot. <laughs> you have to go into some of these meetings, you know, when you're talking about something controversial, and you've got to have somebody strong, who is the light in front of you, leading the way. And so, for me, meeting these women on the Women's Initiative, that was it for me. Because for me, it was like going and talking to this chief and being told, no, like, okay, you know, like, okay, I just, I see, you know, but uh, I'll be honest, Major Nadine doesn't take no. <laughs> she takes feedback and, and tries to turn the no into yes. And that's what we need. We need more of that type of leadership. And so when we get to the point where the Air Force as a whole does that, we've, we've met the chief of staff of the Air Force's guidance, like his accelerate change. And that we've, now we've met it. Because we can turn down ideas that, hey, that just won't work for us, A, B, and C. Okay, we get it. But we tried. We opened our minds to it. And it may lead to a different idea. And that's really what we're doing. So I hope that answers your question. You know, I'm going to push you one more time. Here we go. <laughs> so in line with all of that, right, all the great, great things um, that you just said about pushing and not taking no for an answer and keeping up the good fight and stuff, people say, you know, it's 2021, right? We've got equality. We've achieved all these things that, you know, lactation room, hair regs, um, the disparity report for minorities and all that stuff. Why is there still a need for these things? Culture isn't changed overnight. As a matter of fact, I don't want to steal Major Nadine's thunder on this, but she has a really good quote on this. And I want to actually let her talk about policy change versus culture. I'm a little, um, I'm not as positive as JD is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, my thing is, is I'm not in the business of, of changing culture. I'm in the business of changing policy because when you're discriminated against or something happens, you can have policy to back you up, right? Like we have to follow AFIs. They're, they're punishable. And so culture is really hard to change. We, so we changed a policy for hair. And I remember uh, seeing social media posts, women a few days later, was like, I'm still scared to wear my hair down, even though the policy changed. But then like, by the second week, people were like, I never thought I, and they're like putting their selfies. There's like colonels and generals taking selfies with their hair down. And the culture, like it literally like in two weeks, this was probably the quickest culture change, but it took a policy because before that, nobody was willing to like, you know, that was a taboo. 
thing to touch on. So, um, yeah, and I, JB, I don't know what if, if that was the right quote, but I, I am not a like I, I can't to take on culture is just so much, but I can, in my narrow view, take on policy change. And I never really knew, and then and then she said it like, "Hey, we changed the policy, and eventually you have to conform to these policies. That is your culture, you know." And so, so I, I just really like that. Major Nadim, you had mean, mentioned uh, that you guys were when you were looking at the. Um, uh, shipping breast milk um, policy that you guys were, had looked at things that were already in place at the DOD and government level. Uh, are you guys finding a lot of things like that where like it's already a thing in the civilian sector, but the military just isn't doing it for whatever reason? Yeah, so, some things we do. We, we find sometimes there's companies, um, like if you have to travel with a company, they already, they there's a company called Milk Stork, uh, and this is no way like an endorsement to them or anything, but it, it uh, the companies partner with them to ship breast milk. So, yeah, sometimes we find out that like the Department of State's doing it or we'll see like, you know, the uh, NSA's doing something. And we're like, oh, this is a best practice. Right. Like you hear these buzzwords of like a best practice. But no, there's actually other places doing things you know better than us. Uh, the Navy does some things better than us, for example, for um you know, once uh, once you're pregnant, they kind of assign you a mentor to help you with all those things, right? So you, you kind of know. And so we do look at what other folks are doing, but that's part of our argument. So the WIT doesn't just come in and say, hey, we want to change hair policy. No, no, no. Like, we're doing research. We're doing interviews. We are getting qualitative and quantitative data. We're talking to multiple airmen. We're, we're, we're putting a whole proposal together. And the reason why is if you can put a proposal that's so strong that if they if they say no, it's just because they're saying no, because you, you can't dispute the facts. Right. And so that's part of it is, hey, look at all these other organizations that are doing this. Why aren't we, you know, kind of I don't want to say shame that that's not what I'm. <laughs> but but it's kind of like you, it's like if your brother or sister is like doing something really well and your parents are like, why can't you do that? And you're like, I don't know. You know, I, I guess I could. Right. So that that's kind of the idea. Of we do look at best practices. and That's always part of our research. I have a personal question for both of you guys. Um, how did it feel when the publication actually got released for the hair egg specifically? Like everything I cried, <laughs> you know, and I, I think we have this, you know, and I, I mean, I was in the privacy of my own home. Right. Um, but it was, you know what it, I was, uh, you know, I was a prior enlisted uh, and I was a defender. So to think that, you know, Airman Nadine, would you know like I would have never imagined to question that or, or try to change that so it was kind of this culmination um and then also you know working with JB uh Lieutenant Pellegrini and Sarah uh Bearheide, I have never worked on such an amazing team like we all had our back you know it's it's a diverse you know Sarah who's our captain she's got short hair she doesn't even have long hair she has like zero equities in this <laughs> and, you know and, and then we have to begin there and I just it was such this, like, it was just, a, it was a moment of happiness. So, yeah, I just, um, I cried. That was it. But it was, it was tears of joy. So, maybe please say something better than what I. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't <laughs> cry. I was just, I was almost in shock. Like, this act, it's actually happening. You know, and then February 10th came and it, the, the reg eventually made its way out. And then you're seeing pictures and like, wow. Like, it, it went from, from what I remember in the tower at Beale Air Force Base to, to, you know, I'm at a, I'm watching these tech schoolers here at Kiesler Air Force Base walk around. I'm like, wow, this actually happened. This is real. And yeah, I definitely put uh, the paparazzi song on repeat and just like listened to it, just like sat back and read 
posts online. I'm like, I can't believe it. <laughs> you are entitled to like 50 happy dances. Actually, I don't even want to put a number on it. You're just entitled to unlimited happy dances forever. That is so cool. <laughs> Uh, Sergeant Robinson, do you have any other questions you'd like to ask? We've covered a lot of the stuff we came in wanting to address, so we've this has been wonderful having you guys. Uh, <laughs> we only know what we know, right? Like we only know, um, you know, the the surface level information. And from talking to you guys, we know a little bit more about what your journeys have been and what the team means to you. Um, but is there anything else that you would want people to know, or is there anything else that you um, thought we should have asked about? Uh, I do have one thing. I wanted to dispel a rumor. I had a note somewhere, but I, I can I know what it is. So uh, there was this this statement I see constantly is we're working on helping with the beards as well. I'm seeing this com- comment that it's it's prevalent. It's all over the place that women knew what they were getting into when they joined. It's an all volunteer force, so they knew what they were getting into. Why are we changing the standards for them? And that that um, bugs me because as I and I, again, it's because of what I know, because I took the time to ask my airmen. When you join the military and all of a sudden you're doing something for the first time, you didn't know. You didn't realize it. So it wasn't – that's an unfair thing to say that, hey, you knew what you were getting into. So I just think it's important to dispel some of these these comments and some of these things that are said because it's just not true. Let's do a little bit more research. Let's support each other. As we're moving forward for things, this doesn't take away from me as a man. You know what I mean? It, it just makes it better for everybody. And I think if we – push towards that we're going to be a better air force the one thing i just want to you know share is you know jb kind of talked about this but you run into sometimes a lot of barriers at your own leadership um and, and for example to be fair though like your squadron commander and your group commander and your wing commander they're not responsible for hair policy you know uh headquarters air forces like i, I always joke around like all roads lead back to the pentagon and because that's where all of like our policy is and so sometimes like they don't actually know how to help you because it's not within their scope of responsibility. And so I just want to say like, if folks are struggling out there and they don't know where to go, like call me, I I will help you. I'll get you on the right path. And I get calls all the time. If someone says, I'm not sure if I should call you. I have this idea at my base. No one's listening to me. Can you help? And I'm like, yes. And they're literally like shocked. And they're like, wait, I need to tell my supervisor. I'm so scared to talk to you. I don't want to. And I'm like, you can tell you, it's okay. You can tell your supervisor. Like, it, it's okay. You know, um, and I, I'll even, I just had uh, Major Jessica Bogart called me. She has this great idea. She wants to do an app uh, for those that are pregnant. Because when she was pregnant, she had all these issues and didn't know. She wants to start an app. And she's like, well, what if we just do it at my base? I'm like, what if you just do it for the whole Air Force? And she's like, can we do that? I'm like, yes. Yes, we can. And, you know, she's like, are you sure I should be talking to you? Like, I hope I'm not jumping the chain of command. I'm like, no, the wit is here to take ideas from airmen at the tactical level and take them to senior leaders. I have never been to, like senior leaders, like at the top, you know, Air Force leadership have never said no to us because they're the ones like you said, Sergeant Robinson, they're the ones talking about accelerate, change or lose. The Space Force is talking about, you know, lean, agile and fast. They're the ones pushing this. There's this middle where I don't know what happens there, but senior leaders like truly love these ideas. And so I, no one's ever told me no. And if they have, we've definitely changed it to a yes. So, but I, I can't, I don't ever remember walking in. To, so I just want to tell Airmen that like your senior leaders at the top, they are not saying no, they are really saying yes. Um, so I, I just wanted to put that out there. We, we poked a little bit at like uh, how intricate all of these issues are when you start looking at like uh, the need for a women's initiative team or an African-American initiative team and stuff. 
Um, are you guys finding that you guys are working with a lot of the other teams to get some of these policies done? Like as far as like religion uh, with paired with hair or um, hair and uh, race? No. So actually not as much as you would think um, because so everyone is very focused. Right. So, for example, one of the things when we looked at hair is we knew it disproportionately affected, uh, you know, black and African-American women. So we did pull those numbers, but we didn't necessarily coordinate with that team. We were able to go through the SG. So the Surgeon General's office has a DNI office um, and it's actually led by Colonel Felicia Burks. And she is amazing. And she was able to get all that data for us to show that it was disproportionately affecting uh, women of color. And so um, we don't really, uh, I think as, as more of the teams get kind of up and running, we'll probably will long-term, but we, we collaborate, but just not a lot when we actually like move things over the line. It's just, it's sometimes just too hard. And again, we're all volunteers. So, you know, my, my partner's like, it's hard for us to all sync up uh, sometimes to do these things. Yeah, but I think I think that's just, you know, equally important for people to know, you know, because I think, um, you know, my immediate thought was, oh, they must be collaborating. But to know that even though you're not, those things are still being taken into account is a huge, you know, like, oh, OK, I, I see. I see where this is going and I love how it's working. Um, one other thing just for my peace of mind is I know you said people can reach out to you if they wanted to uh, get more advice. Where can they reach out or sign up to get involved since it's all volunteer? Yeah, thank you for that question. So uh, on the portal page, Air Force portal, uh, there is a women's initiative team page. You can you can go on there and it'll actually show you all the various lines of effort that we're working. So we're working a whole bunch of things. So there's a total of about 10 different efforts, everything from education, everything from masking your names on you know EPRs, OPRs in the future, uh, sexual harassment, sexual assault. And so you can go on there. We actually also have um, a Facebook page. And so as long as you have a military email address, uh, it's called, you know, the Air Force Women's Initiative Team. You can be part of that group. Um, and there's a monthly meeting that you can join in. And so you can join in as sort of just a bystander, right? Like you maybe just want to know what's happening or you can actually take up something. So let's say you're listening right now and you're like, you know what? I really hate the blue pants for females because they just come up to my belly button. And no matter what it is, they never fit right you know what, like we, we can, we can put you with the uniform office uh, and we can help and we can help you with that. So um, yeah, you can reach out, drop a line and we'll get you with the right folks. Really quick, want to shout them out. So Captain Haley Garrett, uh, she's a, a Wizzo at, at Seymour Johnson, uh, Lieutenant Tasha Monroe, and these are Warrior Braids uh, leadership team. My wife, Jocelyn Lind, and then uh, Emily Stanley Cruz, as well as Ashley McCarthy. These are some really amazing, like heavy hitters. Like these are people who are going to move on and continue past the changes that we made. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'd like to extend our thanks to Major Nadim and Master Sergeant Lynn for taking the time to share their experiences with us and for their commitment to removing barriers for airmen. If you're an active duty or reserve airman and would like to help with the Women's Initiative Team, be sure to search for the Air Force Women's Initiative Team group on Facebook. 